This is uh, Stay Standing for the Reading of God's Word. We're going to read Acts 6 and Acts 7, just a couple sections of Scripture here for you this morning. We'll be meditating and worshiping Jesus through the Word in these passages. So I'm going to start in verse 8 of Acts chapter 6. Starting in verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people, and those some of those who belonged to the synagogues of the freedmen, as they are called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. When they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses and said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And skipping ahead to chapter 7, verse 51, this is Stephen speaking. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced the, beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You've been so good already to us this morning. We thank you for Nora and CJ and their baptism testimonies. And Lord, what a powerful, powerful gospel presentation we have already heard from both of them. Lord, if there's even one person here who does not know Jesus personally, has never repented, has never believed in the resurrection, Lord, may they find that this would be their morning of salvation. God, do a good work in all of us. Lord, those who are believers, would you build us up in our most holy faith? May you encourage us to walk with Jesus no matter what comes our way. Thank you for Stephen, his ancient example of being a deacon who was godly and not afraid to stand for the gospel. May we mimic his example by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Encourage all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now you may be seated. Now. 
Well, again, good morning and so thankful that you're here with us at Living Waters this morning. Our sermon series is The Thriving Church. So we continue to dig into the book of Acts, and my sermon title this morning is Stephen, the Dynamic Deacon. Stephen, the Dynamic Deacon. Now, uh, here's an ancient picture of Stephen. I'm not sure exactly if this is how he looked, but this is uh, what I found on Google, so it must be true, right? So Stephen, um, many of you might not know who he is. Um, I know I've, I asked uh, some people this week, do you know who Stephen is? And they're like, no, who's Stephen? Who is that guy? Um, Stephen is an ancient hero of our Christian faith. Stephen is a deacon of deacons. Stephen is maybe the greatest deacon that has ever existed on the earth. And I don't think that's hyperbole. Um, he had a huge impact on Christendom, and he had, hopefully will have a huge impact on your life as well. He's the dynamic deacon. My dad was a deacon growing up in our church, and he still is. He, my dad was the chairman of the deacon, deacon group or whatever growing up. And so from my earliest years, my perspective was never from the pastor's perspective. My perspective of church and ministry was always from the perspective of the deacons, because I would hear dad talk about deacons' meetings and deacons' business, and it was the pastor over here and the deacons over here. So I would always hear about church from the deacons' perspective. And that's how I interpreted my Christianity for many, many, many years was through that perspective. And then I became a pastor. And let me tell you, there is a difference between being a pastor and being a deacon. They're all the same in that they all love Jesus, and they all move the church forward for the gospel. But you can imagine there's quite a difference that I've experienced over the years between being in a deacon's house growing up and now uh, being in a pastor's house. And I don't like the pastor that I live with. He's a real bummer. Can I get an amen? Yeah. But there, is, there, there are good deacons and there are bad deacons, just like there are good pastors and there are bad pastors. We have seen deacons, uh, they're recognized servants. Um, so a deacon, if you don't know, is a recognized servant of the church, voted on by the church, recommended by leadership, and put forward as a servant leader. And there are deacons who have been pains and adversaries to the gospel and the history of Christendom, and that is always true and always be true. And there are also deacons who have advanced the mission of Jesus greatly in the history of Christianity, and we rejoice over deacons. Now, how many deacons do we have at Living Waters? We have the great eight. That's what we have. We have eight deacons. How many deacons are here at this service? If you're a deacon, go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up. All right? So we've got four deacons here. Let's put our hands together for our deacons. We've got Jason and Jake and Derek and Brandon. And if you didn't know, we have a list here, so you can see. We have Adam Nordiker, Brandon Hebron. Chris Sayer, Derek Van Wyk, Jake Smith, Jared Anderson, Jason Anderson, and Rich Lemke, the great eight. And we are voting on Jim Pulse uh, this Wednesday, so we might get to nine. We might not. We'll see how the votes turn out. Amen? But being a deacon in any church is a big deal. And when it's done well, it carries a great eternal reward. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 says, Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and a great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. Matt Smethurst, in his very excellent book on deacons, said this, when deacons flourish, 
the whole congregation wins. And I can say a hearty amen to that. When our deacons are flourishing, the whole congregation is the winner in that um, equation. Now, this passage is going to focus in on one particular deacon named Stephen. Stephen is a hero of the faith. Stephen is probably not a fair comparison for any deacon living today, because it's like, if you're a deacon, you're doing your best, right? We had a group of deacons out just serving in the, on the property yesterday morning, doing an awesome job. Here's the thing. Most deacons are like, don't compare me to Stephen. Please don't compare me to Stephen. Because Stephen is just like this all world. I'm a pastor. I feel very under Stephen, like in regards to his example and his witness for Christ. Stephen is an amazing model. His words and his actions in this passage are so ridiculously legendary that it's hard to read the passage without feeling inadequate, right? So I want to I look at 68 verses this morning. And all God's people said, uh-oh. Uh-oh. 68 verses. We're going to skim through 51 of them. So really, we're only covering 17. I'm going to summarize 51 of them. But here's the big idea this morning in the passage. Thriving churches are filled with dynamic deacons. Thriving churches are filled with dynamic deacons. And I'm going to also add believers and dynamic believers because A thriving church is made up of those individuals who love and serve Christ. So whether you're a deacon or not, because you might be thinking, well, this sermon's for the deacons. I'm off the hook. You're not off the hook. You're on the hook, right? Because you must be a dynamic Christian to be a part of a thriving church. Now, Stephen is very dynamic. What made him so dynamic? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. What made Stephen so dynamic? What were his qualities that he had that just kind of set him apart as a dynamic deacon? Well, we're going to see his qualities, five qualities, in fact, and we're going to apply those to our own lives uh, this morning. So quality number one of of deacon Stephen was this. Stephen was a kingdom expander. Stephen was a kingdom expander. Look with me in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing mighty wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was a kingdom expander. He was full of grace and power, which means in the Greek, he was 100% controlled by the Spirit of God. As we see him, he's full of wisdom in the Spirit. He's full of grace and power. This guy is 100% committed to Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says jump, Stephen says how high, right? When when Jesus says go here, Stephen says I'm there. When when Jesus says speak the word, Stephen says I'll speak the word. This guy is 100% controlled by the Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Don't you wish you were a little more that way? I know I do. He was 100% controlled by the Spirit. And he was sharing God's word, and he was expanding the kingdom of Jesus throughout the suburbs of Jerusalem. Now he's, he's reaching out and expanding the kingdom of Christ, sharing the gospel as he goes. And that is what a deacon is mainly meant to do. A deacon is meant to expand the kingdom, not shrink the kingdom. The, a deacon is meant to expand the reign of Jesus where they live and where they, and where they operate and where they serve, not detract from the kingdom of Jesus. Stephen is a great example of this. Now, he's doing mighty works among the people. Notice the word among. 
Stephen is doing mighty works among the people. He was a man of the people. He spoke to the people. He hung out with the people. He, he did ministry for the gospel among the people. This is another good sign of a great deacon. A deacon is among the people. A deacon doesn't silence himself or separate himself. A deacon is among the people, serving the people for the gospel's sake. And Stephen is sharing the gospel, and this sharing of the gospel brought about some opposition in verse 9. So you see, whenever the gospel is shared, opposition comes, right? How do you know if your church is thriving and expanding if there's opposition? Can I get a witness? A church that's actually making a difference should be experiencing opposition of some kind. It's not all butterflies and rainbows, and can I get a Christian amen? It ain't all butterflies, but if you're having gains for the kingdom, you should be receiving some sort of opposition. And the opposition is coming from Jews from various synagogues. You see the freedmen and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and Cilicia and Asia. They all rise up and they get together and like, we don't like the Stephen guy. They all get together. They start disputing what he's saying. And nothing is worse for a preacher when someone interrupts his sermon, right? And I'm not sure Stephen could do like, I'd, I normally just tell a joke or, you know, make fun of it or whatever have fun with the moment. I'm not sure Stephen could do that here. He's got some serious opposition. And I want, to, I want you to notice, these are from people from synagogues all over the place. I want you to notice one location, Cilicia. You see that? There is one synagogue from Cilicia that had Jews there opposing Stephen. You know what the capital of Cilicia is? Tarsus. You know who's from Tarsus? Saul. Do you know who was probably, more than likely, disputing with Stephen? The man who would write a third of the New Testament. That's funny. All God's people said God has a sense of humor. Can you imagine that debate? An unconverted Saul versus a converted Stephen? Stephen wins. Stephen wins over the Apostle Paul. And no doubt, that was probably the only debate that Paul ever lost. And praise God he did. What a cool little thing. But Stephen was a gospel expander. He was actively and personally seeking to advance the kingdom of Jesus. And a thriving church is filled with deacons who expand the kingdom. It's also filled with believers who expand the kingdom. How are you doing? How are you doing expanding the kingdom of Jesus? Just this week, I've gotten several stories of members of our church and individuals who are courageously putting themselves in positions at work and in their places of influence for the gospel, and they're speaking up for the gospel, and God is honoring them. And I say, praise Jesus. How cool is that? Pick your spots. Don't get fired, but stand for Jesus, right? That's quality number one, kingdom expander. Stephen was also, quality number two, he was glowing in the word. Stephen was glowing in the word. None could withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he was speaking. So they secretly instigated men and they stirred up men and they brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses against him. And then in verse 15, so they're in the Sanhedrin now, 70 leaders plus the high priest. They were all gazing at him in verse 15 and all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. What is going on? 
Stephen is so filled with God's spirit and God's word that his face is like the face of an angel. It was glowing with the word, glowing in joy. Stephen could handle God's word. And he was laying down God's word for people to hear. And Stephen's opponents lost. And so how do, what do you do when you lose a debate? Well, you start slandering and creating a ruckus. Can I get an amen? That's what you do. I mean, if you pay attention to politics at all, this is exactly what happens. If you can't win based off of content and policy, you just attack the character of the other person. And our culture is getting more and more immature. I look at politics and I'm like, how immature are we? Holy cow. We have grown men and grown women not making it about policy anymore. They're just making it about personal attacks. And it reminds me of this passage here where they don't have anything else to do to Stephen. They can't dispute the word of God. So they just start attacking his character. Guess what happens when you start expanding the kingdom for Jesus? People will not argue what you're saying. They'll just start arguing you. And that will not be fun. So don't worry about national politics. Worry about your own personal witness. And start sharing Jesus. And you know what will happen? They'll start attacking you if you're sharing the gospel effectively. And so they start creating this ruckus. But here's the thing. At the very end, when they stand before the Sanhedrin, everybody is seeing Stephen's face and it's glowing. I mean, like, this is incredible. His face is glowing. And you're like, well, what does that even mean anyway? Does that mean he had light beaming out of his face? I don't know. Think about Nora and CJ. Were they glowing? Yeah. Sparkles, CJ? Come on now. Yeah. Think about the glowing faces of God's word. Have you ever read Ecclesiastes 8 verse 1? You probably haven't. Here's what it says. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. Have you ever read that before? Your wisdom makes you shine. Moses, do you remember that guy? He glowed coming down from Mount Sinai. His face was so bright they had to put a curtain in front of it. It was freaking everybody out. Have you ever read 2 Corinthians 3.18 before? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we, Christians, we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the image from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When you're on fire for God, your face will glow. Can I get an amen? You will. Don't view this literally. View this figuratively here. When you're on fire for God, the glory of God exists inside of your heart and mind. And when it does, it'll transfer to your face. And you will smile a smile of God's spirit. And people will notice something different about you. They may like it, they may not like it. But as a Christian, we understand it is God glowing through us. His word, his gospel comes through us. Um. And you know it when you meet somebody, don't you? You know it when you meet a glowing deacon. You know it. Because they glow and they radiate with the presence and the power of God. And that is worth its weight in gold. And you also know it when you meet a spirit-filled Christian of any kind, deacon aside. 
When you meet a Christian who's on fire for God, it's like they glow. It's like they have this countenance that is joyful and smiling and worth it because they know that the gospel is inside of them and they are on fire for God. That's quality number two. He's glowing in the word. Quality number three that Stephen possessed was he was persuasive. He was persuasive. Now, this is the long passage, chapter 7, verses 1 through 50. Stephen was persuasive in sharing the gospel. This is a very long, 51 verses long. I'm going to spare you the 51 verses. I want to encourage you to read them on your own. But here's the thing. Stephen stands before the Sanhedrin and he preaches a persuasive gospel message. And he leads off by saying, fathers and brothers, fathers and brothers, listen to what I'm going to say. He's tender and he tries to persuade all 70 of the Sanhedrin members plus the high priest to believe in Jesus. He persuades them. He leans into their consciences and he says, would you just please believe in Jesus? He, he weaves the story of God's redemption together from Abraham to Joseph, from Joseph to Jacob, from Jacob to Moses, from Moses to David, from David to Solomon. And then he says, this is how Jesus has fulfilled all the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament. 51 verses of persuasion. He sought to persuade his audience before he tried to do the polemical warfare of confrontation. Please note that. This is still the way we need to share Jesus today. We must persuade people to believe in Christ. Christian, can I get an amen? We must persuade. Here's what I mean. Paul said it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We are to persuade people to believe in Jesus. We are to plead with them. We are to be winsome in how we do it. We are to adorn the gospel, as Titus says. We are to make it look beautiful. This is how our culture is going to change. I'm more convinced than ever that this is how we must move forward as Christians to absolutely transform the culture. We must persuade people to believe in Jesus through hard facts and a loving presentation. And here's what I mean. Be gracious, be kind, and be long-suffering in how you share the gospel. Don't be a jerk. Rarely will you win someone over to Jesus through your social media posts condemning sinners who that's not going to convince them to believe. Do you understand that? Rare is the moment when you get all polemical and warfare, and confrontational, and bam on Twitter, or bam on social media, and boom! You know, who's getting converted to that? I'm serious. What are the stats? Who is getting converted? Persuade first. Now, persuasion, here's what it takes. It takes time. Probably took Stephen some time to preach that message, right? It took investment, and it takes love. Time, investment, and love is what it takes to persuade people to believe in Jesus, and that's why most Christians don't do it, because it takes time, investment, and love. And who's got, who's got time in their life for all three of those? Deacons should be persuasive. 
deacons should be persuasive with the gospel. First, confrontational, second, and I'll get to the confrontation part. Christians need to be persuasive. Christian, if you can do one thing walking out of this service this morning, I want you to be persuasive with the gospel. Okay? Stephen was persuasive. Fourth quality, Stephen was courageous. He was absolutely courageous. Verse 51 through 53. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit. They killed those who was announced beforehand, the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Stephen was courageous like a lion, like a lion. That's how he was courageous. Now, 68%, I was just told this statistic yesterday, 68% of men believe that they can defeat a lion with their bare hands. And all the women say, sounds about right. (laughs) Do not count me in that 68%. Most men are very foolish and dumb. Okay? I have been next to a lion three times in Africa. I am scared to death of them. They are so powerful. They are so courageous. They would rip me limb from limb if I tried. So I'm not in the 68%, but here's the thing. Lions don't back down from anybody. Not not even you, American male. Lions are courageous. Here's the thing. We must be not only persuasive, we need to be courageous when the time comes. And Stephen was that. Stephen was finishing his sermon. He's looking at the crowd. He's understanding that the Sanhedrin's not buying what he is laying down. So he, he leaves the persuasive moment and he confronts directly with the courage of a lion. And he tells them, you are stiff-necked and hard-hearted. Stephen had guts. He had courage. He had what most Christians need today. You need some courage. You need some backbone spiritually speaking. And Stephen says, you're stiff-necked, you're hard-hearted, you killed Jesus. By the way, when you're trying to persuade someone to believe in Jesus, at the end of the sermon, when you have to lay it down courageously, you need to say what needs to be said, which means every sinner who is unconverted did participate in the murder of the Son of God. That's hard news to hear. That will not create more friendships for you, more than likely. But when Stephen came down to it, he, was courage, he had courage, and so ought we today. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Deacons are to have gospel courage. Christians are to have gospel courage. We are to go to all resources and exhaust all opportunities to be persuasive with the gospel. But if someone is being obstinate against Christ at some point, when all avenues have been exhausted, we must show courage. That's probably what our generation needs to hear more than any other thing. Have courage. Have some spiritual backbone. Share the truth when you get the opportunity. Quality number five, last one, is Stephen was faithful to the end. Now, they did not respond with a just as I am, Billy Graham, you know, they didn't respond, everybody coming to Christ, right? They were enraged, they ground their teeth, 
It was really violent. They cried with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They even did this. La, 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 la. That's intense rejection. And how does Stephen respond? He gazes into heaven. He totally sees Jesus. He gets drug out of the city to get stoned, big stones, landing on his head and on his shoulders and dislocating and shattering bones. And here he comes. And how is he responding? Is he cursing out his his, uh, persecutors? No, he's saying, I see Jesus. The Son of Man is coming back. The Son of Man rules and reigns, calm worship, trust in Christ. That's how Stephen responds. And he even says at the end, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Does that sound familiar? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen says Jesus, just like Jesus. Stephen also says at the very end, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them. How in the world? This is supernatural grace. To forgive those who are stoning you to death. This is the grace of Christ at work. This is the power of Christ. And by the way, as we close, this is the process. This is how it goes all the time. Still today. Here's the quick process. Spirit-filled believer shares the gospel of Jesus. Proud fleshly sinner gets angry. Spirit-filled believer reacts with joy, peace, and trust and gets killed. Proud fleshly sinner thinks they win. Spirit-filled believer really wins eternal life with Jesus. Amen? That's how it always goes. It's the same pattern that we see still today. But that's amazing grace. And some of you might be saying as we close the sermon, how in the world? I mean, literally, how in the world? I could never do that. I could never forgive my persecutors. I couldn't be stoned. I don't want to be stoned. Most Christians are not signing up for stoning. I'm not. I don't want that. How would I do that? I bet you I would fail. I couldn't be like Stephen. That's right. In your flesh, you can't. Here's the thing. God gives grace, dying grace, that is greater than any human explanation. That's all I can say. If God calls you to be stoned or to die for his name, he will give you the grace to do it. And you won't get that grace until the moment comes. Some of you are like future investors. You're like, I want to return on my investment beforehand. I want to know for sure that I will stand in the moment of great difficulty. And God says, no, I'm a moment by moment God. You'll get a return on your investment in the moment. I'll give you the grace to get through it. So deacons must be faithful to the end. Faithful till you die. A thriving church is filled with deacons who are, who are faithful to the end. Not perfect, faithful. Christians, we must be like our deacons, faithful to the end. Faithful in the highest mountaintop and faithful in the lowest valley. May God give us the grace to do that. Thriving churches are filled with dynamic deacons. And they are filled with dynamic believers who love and serve Christ. Stephen was a kingdom expander. He was glowing in the word. He was persuasive. He was courageous. And he was faithful to the end. Are you? Are you those things? Is the Spirit of God sanctifying you to be like this? May God give us the grace that it takes to be this kind of servant of the kingdom. Let's pray.
Father, we love you and we are so thankful for your grace and mercy. You're at work, Lord, in our church. You're at work in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this dynamic deacon named Stephen. Oh God, would you raise up and sustain even our our current deacons. May you strengthen them this morning. May you encourage them. May you empower them for spirit-filled witness and a life that finishes well. God, may you do that for the pastors. May you do that for the congregation. May you do that for every person that comes to Living Waters. May you empower them to be Christ followers no matter what comes our way. So God, give us the grace that we need today to respond to you. We think of, again, Nora's beautiful testimony and CJ's testimony and just how wonderful this Christian life is. So amazing. Give us grace to rejoice. Confess sin where needed and surrender all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand once more, shall we?
Thank you for being here this morning. CJ, I want you to come right here. Nora, you can come right here. And let's give God another shout of praise for these two. Their baptism. So here's how we're going to close it up. God's doing a lot of great things. We have more baptisms next Sunday, and it's Father's Day next Sunday. So hopefully we'll see all you guys back next week. Uh, but God is doing stuff. God is stirring at Living Waters. We're very thankful for it. So what your opportunity is to encourage these two in their testimony and say thank you and worship God and encourage them. So as you uh, leave today, hopefully you come up and encourage them as you go. So may God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day.
was rich I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your side So you made a way Across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne To build it here inside And there at the cross You paid the debt I owe Broke my chains, freed my soul For the first time I had hope Thank you, Jesus, for the place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death has no sting and life has no end for i have been transformed by the blood
Hey, there we are. Good morning, Living Water. So glad to see you here this morning. It's a beautiful day. It's a great day to serve our Lord. And uh, we had a great first service here and a couple great testimonies of how God has worked in their lives to salvation. And we get to hear another one this morning. So let's stand, let's sing, and let's praise our Lord this morning, shall we? Steve. 
nothing as strong as our God is. Our God is alive. He is risen. Now we are walking in freedom. Nothing as strong as our Jesus. Our God is alive. Yeah. Our God is alive. Yeah. So let praise rise high in this place for our King stands over the grave. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. My announcements went over like a ton of bricks last service. So here we go, round two. Okay, um, I am Julie McDaniel. I am the kids ministry director here at Living Waters. If you are new here, welcome. Um, we would love to give you a gift out at the Welcome Center if you haven't stopped by there yet. There's also a QR code on the seat in front of you, on the back of your seat in front of you, that you can scan and just fill out some quick information for us. That would be great. Um, our announcements this week, we have a member meeting this Wednesday at six o'clock. So if you are a member of our church, this is for you. Come on out, guys. Um, also, a VBS update. We um, have a bunch of people. I think we have almost 70 volunteers signed up already, which is amazing. Um, we still have some decoration needs and that sort of thing, so check that. If you um, were waiting to sign up until the last minute, that's today, um, so that you can get a T-shirt. Um, that would be great. Sign up. Okay. And then um, we have a wish list that is almost filled. So feel free to check that um, and see if there's any last minute things that um, are needed. Those sort of things are for craft supplies and um, the random things that come up um, that are needed for VBS. And then also, uh, Kathy Pepin is helping to provide meals for the volunteers that week before VBS starts. She's out at the um, table with the blue tablecloth. She's got lots of details for you. Um, people have done it in the past, and it's been a huge blessing to our volunteers to be able to have something in our bellies before we spend two hour, two and a half hours dancing. Um, so please check that out. If you are already signed up for a volunteer that meeting, um, we have a volunteer meeting on June 25th after the second service. So come to that and get all of your pertinent information from moi. Um, okay. Last thing is our care sessions, um, our quarterly care sessions led by Pastor Chad and Pastor Andy, they are, um, the next one is coming up on June 26th at 6.30 p.m. This one is going to be on grief. It's going to be just a great time to um, look at grief through a biblical perspective. Okay, and then we don't pass a plate or anything like that here um, at our church, but we do have giving boxes in the back. We would, um, we do encourage giving and generosity. Um, if you have any questions, you can talk to any of us about any of those announcements. Um, otherwise, I'm going to pray, and then we'll have howdy time.
Okay. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for um, just this gathering of your people to hear your word today. We are grateful for um, the opportunity and um, just the willingness to hear your word, to um, have it fall on our hearts, and Lord, to act in those words. Lord, we're grateful for the baptisms that have already happened at 830, Lord, and the baptism that will happen today at 10. Um, We hope that it would um, just spur up our church and encourage those around us to um, continue on for you. We love you and um, we are thankful for today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, stand up and greet those around you. Okay, everybody uh, go ahead and find your seats and take a seat. And if I could invite Kashindi and Susie and Wene up here. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good to have all of you guys here. My name is Pastor Josh, and we are privileged to be doing baptisms. We did two baptisms at 8.30. We have another baptism here at 10, and we're very excited about that. I think we have uh, three or four baptisms next Sunday as well. So praise Jesus, right? Praise the Lord. Yeah. It's all very good. We, we thank God for baptisms. Uh, this is our first Congolese baptism. Amen? Yes. So this is really cool, and we're very thankful. So baptism, we go over the, the same truths every, every week that we do a baptism 
Um, just, just to clear the air, baptism is this wonderful morning of identifying with Jesus. It is just an awesome moment for people to go public for Christ. And so uh, there's several things that we want to tell you what baptism isn't and what it is. And so the first thing, uh, I think we got a slide here for you. There we go. Uh, baptism is not salvation. So don't, don't see the baptisms and say, oh my goodness, another soul is going to heaven. Look at that. You know, that, that's not what baptism is. Baptism is by grace through faith. Amen. You go to heaven because you believe in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is not salvation, but it is a victory. It's a moment of victory in someone's life where they publicly uh, declare themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And so that is what it is. And I would say in our culture today that's very secular, we need a little bit more Jesus victories. Amen? So, yes, so baptism is that for sure. So baptism is victory, and baptism is identifying with Jesus publicly. So it's an outward manifestation of an inward reality. And so this is really cool. This is Kashindi Lalungu, and she is going to be translated for by Mweme. And uh, we're very excited that um, they get to share. So what we're going to do is go back and forth with the microphone. So Kashindi's going to share in Swahili. So for those of you who are, who are um, ready to go in Swahili, give me a hearty amen, right? And... Uh, most of us will be relying on the translation, but this is Kashindi. Give her your best attention and let's encourage her as much as we can. Shakwanza na shukuru mungu kupitia neno la mungu na ubatizo. Na shukuru mungu sana kwa kupita kwenye ubatizo. Hallelujah. Uh, first and foremost, I'm very grateful to God for this chance to get baptized. Yeah, it's something that she's been waiting for a while. And now is that day. And she's very happy and grateful for the church. Hallelujah. Um, so let's just clarify this because Kashindi came to Christ in the Congo years ago, years ago, and she has wanted to get baptized for, for many, many years. And because of circumstances just have, has not been able to have that opportunity. So literally coming to America and walking into our church for Thanksgiving meal giveaway was the moment that we connected. And um, the husband said, um, are you Catholic? And I said, amen, we are. Whatever we got to be. <laughs> and um, since then, God has, God has created a beautiful connection. Um, we love having Kashindi. Um, Susie Grismore has been an amazing and influential uh, in the Lungu family as far as connecting them to Christ and to the neighborhood and to our church. So let's, let's give God a shout of praise by saying thank you to Susie as well. So I guess I'll just ask a, a question. Kashindi, do you believe in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. Amen. And are you excited to get baptized? 
view. <laughs> well, I think we have some water here, so amen? All right, let's do this. All right, let's, uh, let's pray God's blessing over Kashindi, and uh, let's baptize her. Lord, thank you so much for Kashindi coming to Christ uh, years ago, and Lord, just being in a real tough spot for many years and longing for this moment. And God, we thank you that uh, she's following you publicly, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And Lord, we thank you that um, though she speaks Swahili and we speak English, Lord, we sense the same Jesus. And we know, Lord, that you are Lord of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And Lord, we are so privileged to be Kashindi's church home. We are so honored, God, that she would be here with her family. And Lord, we pray that you would bless her, help her not only to walk with Jesus today, but Lord, may she walk with Jesus all of her days and be a godly woman and have a legacy of godliness. We pray that you would bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll make our way over, uh, over here. Yep, on that side. Follow Susie. Hussein, are you here? Where's Hussein at? Okay. Hussein, as Kashindi gets in the water, could you stand up? This is Hussein, and if you guys don't know Hussein yet, this is a very special young man, and I would encourage you as a church to get to know him. Hussein, how old are you? 13? 13 years old, and God's hand is on him in a special way. Whenever I go over to their house, he he does all the live translation um, for for me, and he has been a very godly young man, and so I just want you to recognize him and encourage him as he has been such a connector between his mom and Jesus and his mom and our church. So thank you. Thank you, Hussein. Amen. God's good. Amen. He's alive and well. And it's great to hear this testimony of knowing that she has taste and seen the good of goodness of God. And we're going to sing about that goodness of God. Let's stand. Let's sing together once more.
Praise God. Well, please stay standing. We're going to read the word together. And this morning's passage is um, Acts 6 and Acts 7, so a couple different passages that we'll combine together and read. Um, I'll be reading Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and then Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. So this is the word of God. And Stephen, full of grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of them who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men and said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words about Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon Stephen and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And in verse 51 of chapter 7, Stephen is finishing up his sermon and he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stop their ears. And rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for Kashindi, her beautiful faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I can't imagine waiting for my baptism for years upon years. But God, she has. And Lord, what a sweet moment. Oh God, thank you for Nora McDaniel, CJ Whistler at 830. Powerful testimonies of grace. Lord, we're looking forward to more baptisms next Sunday. We're looking forward to these things. You are working, you're stirring, you're moving. We're thankful. And we're thankful for just the opportunity to be here. What a privilege it is to be here and to be alive and to be ready to take in your word. How good you are to us. Lord, we're thankful for Stephen, this amazing deacon, amazing man of God. His example screams at us, inspires us, convicts us, moves us. Lord, help us to be more like Stephen so we could be more like Christ. May his example speak to us in a powerful way. Work in a great way, God. If there's anybody who's here that does not yet know Jesus, would you please move in their hearts and bring them to a place of humility and repentance and faith? May this be the morning of their salvation. And for those of you, us who know Christ, I pray that we would be inspired and strengthened and built up in our faith, our most holy faith. God, be glorified. Move my mouth so that it's your words. Give us ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, again, welcome to church. Awesome to have you with us this morning. And uh, we are continuing our sermon series titled The Thriving Church. And my sermon title this morning is Stephen, the Dynamic Deacon. Stephen, the dynamic deacon. Now, I don't know if this is really a picture of Stephen or not, but I found it on Google, so it must be true, right? Probably exactly what he looked like. Who knows what he looked like, but this is an artist's depiction of Stephen. Some of you know him, and some of you know his story, but I was talking to some people this week, and I said, have you ever heard the story of Stephen? And they were like, no, I have no idea who he is. So I, that might be you. You might not know who Stephen is, and he is a hero of the faith, an amazing man of God. In fact, his, his life for God is so good and amazing that it's convicting. At, at points, you will feel like you can probably not measure up to Stephen because he's so godly and he's legendary. So he was a dynamic deacon for sure. Now, my dad was a deacon growing up, so my dad was actually the chairman of the deacons for many years. So I grew up in a deacon's home. Um, I did not grow up in a pastor's house or anything like that. So my perspective of Christianity was very much a deacon's perspective. Like when dad would come home from deacon's meetings, I would hear about the deacon's meetings and the talk and the issues and stuff like that. And so I would always, I would always kind of interpret my Christianity based on a deacon's perspective, right? And, and then in God's providence and, and humor, I am now a pastor. So it's kind of weird being on the other side, you know, because I never thought I would be a pastor. So, so let me just say this, 
the, the mindset and the perspective between a deacon and a pastor is different, absolutely different. And it has to be different because uh, they, they are all part of a gospel team, but they clearly fulfill different biblical roles. And so over the years, it seems, it, it seems like, I hope I'm growing in the ability to see a deacon's perspective and a pastor's perspective and to see both sides of any um, and all issues. Um, here's the thing about deacons. There are good deacons and there are bad deacons, just like there are good pastors and there are bad pastors. Um, we have seen deacons um, over the years and in all of the historical Christianity, we have seen deacons who are adversaries and pains to the gospel. That is absolutely true. There are deacons who don't help the gospel move forward at all, and there are deacons who have advanced the mission of Jesus greatly over the history of Christianity. And so you see both. What is a deacon anyway? It is a, rec- it is a recognized servant of the church. So if you don't know what a deacon is, it is a, someone who has been recognized by the church leadership and the church congregation to serve as a recognized servant. So um, how many deacons are here at service this morning? That's what I'm going to do. How many deacons do we have? We have eight. And if you are a deacon, go ahead and stand up. We're going to recognize our deacons this morning. We have Derek and we have Adam. And let's put our hands together. We praise God. More deacons at first service than at second service, I can say that. So uh, here's our deacons. I think we have them on the screen for you. We have Adam Nordiker, Brandon Hebron, Chris Sayer, Derek Van Wyk, Jake Smith, Jared Anderson, Jason Anderson, and Rich Lemke. So we can call them the great eight. Amen? They're the great eight. And we have Jim Pulse, who is on the docket to be voted in as a deacon uh, this Wednesday night. So we'll see how the votes go. Amen? We'll just see how the votes go. He may or may not. And I don't know if we have a name for nine yet. We have the great eight, but we'll have to figure out a name for nine. If you have a creative one, send it my way. But being a deacon in any church is a big deal. And when it is done well, it carries with it great eternal reward. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 says this, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Matt Smethurst, in his excellent book on deacons, wrote it this way. He said, when deacons flourish, the whole congregation wins. When deacons flourish and grow and and are amazing, the whole congregation ends up winning. And I would agree with that 100%. This passage is going to focus in on one particular deacon named Stephen. Now, Stephen is not only a model deacon, but he is one of the greatest believers in all of Christianity. In the history of Christianity, you can look it up. Stephen is going to be right on top if you are rating deacons. His words and his actions in this passage are absolutely legendary. And we are going to look at 68 verses this morning in this message. And all God's people said, wait a minute, wait a minute, right? 68 verses. Now, I'm going to summarize 51 of them very quickly in the message. And all God's people said, amen. But the other 17 we're going to dig into. And um, here's the big idea of the passage this morning. Thriving churches are filled with dynamic deacons. 
Thriving churches are filled with dynamic deacons. And I'm going to expand it out, and I'm going to say, and dynamic Christians. Because some of you are thinking, well, this sermon is just for the deacons. So there's two deacons here, so the whole sermon's for two people. I'm off the hook. You're not off the hook. All right, dynamic Christians or dynamic believers are absolutely essential in a thriving church. And those thriving churches are filled with dynamic deacons and believers who love and serve Jesus Christ. And here's the question we're going to answer this morning. What made Stephen so dynamic? I mean, why was he such a dynamic person? What was it about him that, that impacted the world so greatly? Well, we're going to see five qualities in uh, Stephen's life that really led him to be a dynamic deacon. And hopefully these qualities can be yours and applied to your life as well. So we're going to look at these qualities one at a time. Quality number one of deacon Stephen is this. Stephen was a kingdom expander. Stephen was a kingdom expander, verses 8 and 9. And then Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen was a kingdom expander. He was full of grace and power. What does that mean? Being full of grace and power means he was 100% controlled by Jesus Christ. That's good for a deacon, amen? A deacon is good. It's good for a deacon to be 100% controlled by Jesus. And that's literally what full means, full of grace and power. He was 100% controlled. So if Jesus said, hey, De- hey deacon Stephen, jump. Stephen says, how high, Lord? How high? If Jesus says, Stephen, I want you to go here, he'll say, I'm going there. If he says, Stephen, I want you to speak the gospel over here, Stephen says, I'm all in. That's what it means that he was full of grace and power. He was 100% submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was full of God's word and God's spirit, doing great signs and wonders among the people. So you can see that in verse 8, great wonders and signs were being done. Not just normal things, great things were happening through this deacon. And as the word of God went out, great things were happening from among the people. Now, if you're marking your Bible, you can mark the word among. Stephen was among the people. He was with the people. He had the common man's ear. Do you ever notice this about Christianity so far in Acts? The movement of Jesus is among the people. You can't be a separatist isolationist and be a Christian. You've got to be among the people. Deacons that are worth their salt are among the people. What do you do as a deacon? You just get among the people and you serve. You get with the people and share the gospel. You get with the people and impact their lives. That is true of deacons and that's also true of Christians. Amen? There is an impulse right now in our culture to separate and isolate. And I want to tell you as a Christian, do the opposite of what your flesh is feeling. Don't isolate and don't separate. Put yourself among the people of God in church. Praise the Lord. That's why church matters. Amen. Even in the summer. Yeah. Even in the summer, it matters. Get to church, right? Because you need that fellowship and you must be among the sinners. How else are the sinners going to meet Jesus unless we're among them, right? We got to be among the people. We got to talk to people. Now, he was among the people sharing the gospel. Great signs and wonders were happening. And then this sharing of the gospel brought some opposition. 
Not surprisingly, did you know that a healthy church is marked by its growth and it's also marked by its opposition to the growth? How do you know Living Waters is alive? How do you know any church is alive? If it has opposition, praise the Lord. We should have opposition if we're really reaching people for Christ. So don't view opposition as a bad thing. View it as a good thing. It is a wonderful thing that God is using you. Who opposed Stephen? Well, people from Cyrene, the, the freedmen, the Alexandrians, the Cilicia people, the Asia people. There were all these people from different synagogues who didn't like what Stephen was saying. And like, we don't like him. So we're all going to band together and we're going to dispute with him. So all these people got together and they opposed Stephen and they had a debate. Now they end up losing this debate. Stephen wins the debate. But I want you to notice all these locations. Stephen is going all over the place to share the gospel. Don't you think we should take note, Christians? We should be going multiple places to share the gospel. And not only that, I want you to notice one particular location, Cilicia. Cilicia. Why would I point out Cilicia? Because the capital of Cilicia is Tarsus. Who came from Tarsus? Saul. There is a great chance, almost a 100% chance, that Saul, who would become the apostle Paul, is one of the Jews who is disputing with Stephen. How amazing is that? Is your mind blown? How many of you want to buy tickets for that debate? I do. Unconverted Saul up against converted spirit-filled Stephen and Stephen wins. Probably the only debate that Paul ever lost, but I would have loved to seen it. So that's a really cool historical thing, but here's the, here's the point. The point is that Stephen is a gospel expander. He's here to expand the kingdom any way that he can. A deacon should be a gospel expander, not a gospel shrinker, right? So a good deacon is always thinking about how to expand the gospel. How do we expand our footprint? How do we expand Jesus in this place? And so it is with deacons, so it is with Christians. We as Christians should be gospel expanders. We should be looking around to share the gospel. Will there be opposition? You bet you there will be. If you're sharing the gospel truthfully, there will be opposition, but we are called to expand the gospel. The second quality Stephen had was that he was glowing in the word. Stephen was glowing in the word. So they couldn't withstand the spirit by which he was arguing. So they stirred up people. They brought them before the council. They set up false witnesses against Stephen. And as they come into the Sanhedrin, if you remember, that's 70 religious leaders plus the high priest, 71 men, Sadducees, Pharisees. They bring Stephen in here, and at the very end of the accusations, they're looking at Stephen, and he's sitting there, and in verse 15, it says that the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. His face was glowing, and all God's people said, what? What do you mean his face is glowing? Here's what, we, here's what we mean. Stephen was sharing the word so effectively and handling God's word that God's spirit was on him. God's spirit was on him and it was glowing outside of his spirit. Like, you know, like the surrounding nature of his soul was such that there was brightness to him. 
brightness to his face, a smile on his face, peace in his heart. Have you ever had someone say to you as a Christian, there's something different about you and I don't exactly know what it is? That is the glow of the word of God, right? It's the glow of the gospel in your life. Have you ever seen another Christian who's on fire for God and you're like, there's something different about them? Like that is the glow of the spirit of God. It could be literal. It's probably figurative or it's somewhere in between. It was both literal and figurative glowing. And can you imagine 71 people in a Sanhedrin council looking at this man, all seeing the same thing. This bro is glowing. Now, the glowing face seems to be a theme in scripture. The glowing face of a spirit-filled Christian is this. Have you ever read Ecclesiastes 8.1? You probably haven't. And I want to just tell you, Ecclesiastes 8.1 says this, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Wisdom makes your face shine. That's cool. Moses, do you remember that guy? His face glowed as he was coming down from Mount Sinai. It was so bright, they had to put a curtain in front of his face because he was scaring everybody. And have you ever read 2 Corinthians 3.18? It says this, And we Christians, all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of one degree to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's amazing. As we come to know Christ and the gospel more, the Bible says is that we are going to be beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and that will absolutely transform our minds and our hearts and our souls and our faces. Incredible. So if you're on fire for God, your face will say so. If you are on fire for God, your countenance will speak to other people. And if you're not on fire for God, people will know it. So, people know when they meet a glowing deacon. You know it. When you meet a deacon who's on fire for God and filled with the Spirit, you're like, ooh, I like that guy. I want to hang out with him more. And you know it when you meet a deacon who's not, right? And you also know this, not only is it true of deacons, it's true of believers. You know it when you meet a believer who's on fire. Can I get a witness? Did you see Kashindi? Did you see this? Like, this is the glow of God. This is the spirit of God. This is the glory of God. Did you see Susie? The glow of God, right? It, it is just the spirit of God at work in people's lives. This is what Stephen had. And this should be true of every Christian. We should glow with the word of God. Quality number three is that Stephen was persuasive. Stephen was persuasive. Stephen was persuasive in sharing the gospel. So this is a very long sermon, 51 verses long. This is where we're going to summarize, amen? I'm going to spare you 51 verses, but here's the point. Stephen stands before the Sanhedrin, and he seeks to be very persuasive with the gospel. He says, fathers and brothers, and then he starts just this long sermon back and forth where he is trying to persuade the Pharisees and the Sadducees to believe in Jesus. He starts with Abraham and he goes to Joseph. 
from Joseph to Jacob, from Jacob to Moses, from Moses to David, from David to Solomon. And then he brings it all the way present day and he says, this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament and the prophecies as well. He all meets here and you can just feel him persuading this crowd. He sought to persuade. Before he tried polemical, confrontational warfare, before that, he sought to persuade his audience. We still need to share the gospel the same way today. Amen? We need to persuade people to believe in Jesus. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade others. I really, truly believe this with all my heart. This is how culture is going to change. Many of you have asked, how is our culture going to change? How is our culture going to change? How are we really going to, you know, come back to God? We're going to come back to God through persuasive presentations of the gospel of Jesus. We are going to come back to God by persuading non-Christians to come to Christ. This involves being gracious. This involves being kind. And this involves being long-suffering and patient. Can I just tell you something? I know you already know this, but I I just want to say it out loud. Rarely will you see someone get saved through your social media post that condemns sinners and draws really hard lines. Can I just tell you, you're not convincing anybody. No unbeliever, or rare is the unbeliever that's looking at your social media post that's angry and polemical and confrontational and saying, you know what, I want to believe in Jesus right now. I just, I just want to say the obvious, right? We are called to persuade as a first option. We are to have real relationships with real sinners in real situations that is persuasive. So before you you put all your stuff on your social media, the number one way to share the gospel is the way Stephen does it right here. Persuade. Take time. Persuasion takes time, investment, and love. And that's probably why most Christians don't do it. Because who has time to invest? Who has time to give loving, persuasive presentations of the gospel? I don't have time for that. I got too many vacations to go on. Amen? I got too many hobbies to have. I don't have time to invest in real people. It takes too long. Most Americans, that's the sad reality of our answers, right? We don't have time for that. But that is exactly what it takes. We have to persuade people to believe in Jesus with facts and flesh. Facts of the gospel, because we have the historical facts of Jesus, and we need to stand for those things. That's amazing. But we have to have flesh. you got to put flesh on it, flesh and bones, that you are the testifier and the persuader of the gospel. That was a quality that Stephen had. Next quality that Stephen had is that he was not only persuasive, but he was courageous. Here's the other side of the story, right? Verses 51 through 53, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, how warm and cuddly. You resist the Holy Spirit all the time. 
Which of your fathers did not persecute the righteous? They killed the, those that were announced before. The righteous one, you've betrayed, you've murdered. Like, you see that? Like, that's not persuasive. That's confrontational. And praise the Lord for that. So, it's not either or, it's both and. It's persuasion. And then Stephen was looking at his audience and saying, they're not getting it. They're not processing it. So therefore, I need to leave my persuasion and I need to go straight to confrontation, which is the reality of what he said. You are stiff-necked. You are hard-hearted. That's mean. That's really confrontational to say. But that's what needed to be saved. Stephen was courageous like a lion. He was courageous like a lion. Do you know lions are very courageous? You know this? They don't back down to any animal, the Bible says. I don't know about you, but um, I heard this stat yesterday. 68% of men think that they can kill a lion (laughs) if they have a knife in their hand. 68% of men believe that if a lion walks up to them and they got a knife, they're like, I can take him. Men are stupid. (laughs) And I, I speak from experience. I have been to Africa three times. I have been very close to lions. I am not in the 68%. I'm in the 32. Like, I can't. I'm running. I'm running. Because lions aren't scared. Lions have courage. They are the king of beasts. And if you want like a quick grave, go ahead and keep thinking you can take a lion with a knife. But this is the reality of having a Stephen-type heart. He was so courageous. He was courageous like the lion of Judah. He was courageous like Jesus. When it come down to it, he saw that his sermon was landing on deaf ears. And so then he just said it how it needed to be said. He said, this flurry of words is probably going to cost me physically. I don't know if he thought he was going to die, but he knew that this is what needed to be said. And so he went ahead and said it knowing that it would lead to something not pleasant. This is the courage that we must have after we have persuaded and invested and tried to build all the bridges that we can to the sinner's heart, if we're getting to that end and they are not listening, we got to bring the truth. We've got to say it with courage. And we've got to have the courage that Stephen had, the Holy Spirit-driven courage to say, you killed Jesus. Because every sinner that doesn't know Christ has had a passive or active part in the murder of the Son of God. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, deacons are to have gospel courage. Great deacons have gospel courage in the midst of very hard situations. And so it is with Christians. Great Christians have strong courage given by the grace of God in the moment of need. Just the other day, I was talking with one of our members at church, and they took a risk for God at work, and they testified powerfully to the gospel of Christ, and they did not get fired. Amen? 
That's good. They didn't get fired. And not only did they not get fired, but multiple people came to this individual and said, thank you for sharing the truth. Not all of them were even Christians. Praise God, right? Now, the, the, the moral of the story is don't get fired. Amen. We want you to have jobs and be gainfully employed. But have courage. Have courage. When you've persuaded and you're done, have courage to say what needs to be said. That's a quality that Stephen had. Stephen finally was faithful to the end. He was faithful to the end. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Man, that's not quite the Billy Graham just as I am, you know, invitation. Flocks of people, thousands are coming to Christ. This is the exact opposite. They were enraged and they ground their teeth. That's gross. And then they cried out and then they stopped their ears. Literally, they're like, la, 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 don't want to hear the gospel. Bam! And what was Stephen's response? Full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up to heaven, saw Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only did he say that, he fully trusted Jesus. Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. He's getting drug out of the city. He's going to get stoned. He's going to have these huge, massive boulders being thrown on him, shattering his bones, creating all kinds of physical deformalities. And all of a sudden, all he can say is, Jesus, receive my spirit. And at the end, he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. He forgives the people who are killing him. He was faithful to the end. Amazing. How did he do that? Through the grace of God. And as we close the sermon, this is always the process. This is always how it goes. It happened with Stephen, happened with Jesus, happened with Paul, happens still today with Christians. Spirit-filled believer shares the gospel of Jesus. Proud, fleshly sinner gets angry over hearing the gospel. Spirit-filled believer reacts with joy and peace and trust and gets killed. Step four, proud, fleshly sinner thinks they win. We won. We took down these, these annoying Christians. And then spirit-filled believer really wins eternal life with Jesus. Amen. That's how it always goes. One, two, three, four, five. Still today, that's how it goes. You share the gospel, people are going to get angry. God is going to give you his spirit and his grace to, to allow you to respond with joy, peace, trust. You might get hurt. You might get fired. You might, something bad might happen. But the world will think they win. Satan thinks he wins. But even death is promotion for the believer. Amen. Even death is a promotion. We get to go to heaven. We win. We win. And if you're like me, you like to win. Amen. I love to win. Sand volleyball tonight, six o'clock. I love to win. Probably will lose, but I love to win. As a Christian, you win when you die. There's no loss. There's no way you can lose. Now, you might look at Steve and say, well, how did he do that? I mean, how exactly is that going to work? Like if I were put in that position and they were going to stone me, I might be like, okay, I'll take a Jesus step back here. Don't stone me. How did he do that? I don't think I'd have that courage. Here's the thing. If God brought you to a place like Stephen, he will give you the grace to do it. And some of you are like, I'm a, I'm a future investor. I like to know exactly where my investments are going, and I like to know exactly how it all ends. How many of you are like the, the step one to, to final step person? That's you. I want to know all of it right in a row. 
God's like, no, that's not how it works. My grace will be sufficient in the moment. My grace will carry you in the moment. Old Christians have called it dying grace. Dying grace. This grace that Stephen gets is a gift from God right on time. Perfect for what he needs. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit in verse 59. Does that remind you of anybody? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen was faithful to the end. A deacon that is a great deacon in a thriving church is faithful to the end. Whether they're in their season of service or whether they're not, they're faithful to the end. Christians that are part of thriving churches are faithful to the end. You may not know how it all ends, but you will know that God will give you that grace. If you need it, he'll give it. Christians are faithful to the end, filled with joy, forgiveness, and readiness to go to heaven. So as we close our time together, thriving churches are filled with dynamic deacons and dynamic believers who love and serve Jesus Christ. Stephen was a kingdom expander. He was glowing in the word of God. He was persuasive. He was courageous and he was faithful to the end. Are you? Are you? Are you being conformed more and more into this image, the image of Christ that reflects Stephen and his attitudes? May God give us the grace to be like that. Let's take the next step, all right, as we close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing word and your amazing grace. Thank you for Stephen and his incredible example of faithfulness and gospel-centeredness. This, this man is an example for us to mimic and to follow because he follows Christ. And Lord, I pray for every person here that we would be this kind of courageous Christian who stands for the gospel no matter what, that we would be persuasive. God, that we would be so persuasive with the kingdom of Jesus to those who need it the most. That we'd be courageous in the moments that we need to be courageous, give the truth. And oh God, would you please save many. Lord, some would look at Stephen's life and say, what a waste. He wasted his life. He died without anybody believing but no doubt, Lord, Stephen, through his death, helped reach the Apostle Paul. And Paul reached the world. God, there is no wasted suffering. There's no wasted death for the Christian. Lord, everything you do, you do right on time. So Lord, would you just come down? You're already here. Would you just move among us right now and just give Christians that opportunity to surrender? Give us opportunities to say, Lord, just as I am, I'm here. Make me like Stephen. Make me a dynamic deacon. Make me a dynamic Christian. Here I am. Use me. And Lord, I pray that you would even save some who are lost. Lord, may the power of the baptisms this morning and the, the power of the word of God move to lead some to repentance and faith. God, help us respond for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.